Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to episode 18 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I am Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I am Sam with Fowser Consulting. In today's fabulous podcast episode, we're going to go through some segments you may know. We're going to go through where we've been. We'll talk training, not the fast, but the nice. We'll review a book, 11 Rings by Phil Jackson. For those of you that don't know, he plays sport ball. He does indeed. We're going to do Sam's favorite segment taken. I think the title of that segment is Sam's favorite segment taken because that's what I say every time. Yes, it is. We're going to interview Stephanie Sigwald, the 2020 franchise trainer of the year. Hang on a second. Did I just hear you say purple monkey dishwasher? I didn't, but she will. Okay. And then we're going to talk on the road again and wrap this puppy up. Hey, that's fantastic. I think this could be Anthony Satterwhite's favorite episode. Yeah, you know, I almost want to mention that now, but I don't. So let's talk about that when we wrap this up, Sam, because that way we can talk about why Anthony Satterwhite's name is mentioned so many times in an episode and we can see what happens with it at the end. So, Stephanie, we will explain Anthony Satterwhite at the end of this episode just for you. I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere, man. Across the desert, bear, man. I breathe the mountain air, man. I travel, I've had my share, man. I've been everywhere. So, Drew, uh, where you been, man? I feel like I've been Sam Fowler for a little bit because I've been in my car for what seems like the last like five days. I've been in Dayton, Ohio, working with uh, Chris Slater's group. We're trying to uh, help them find that enthusiasm gap that's in their stores right now. And then around that, I've been doing just a ton of work on Learning Hub. And um, trying to help out a couple other things too. For for some of our uh, listeners, there's Smart Recruiters that's just rolled out, and I'm trying to work on helping you guys with that as well. Fantastic. How about you, Sam? Where you been? Uh, you know, I uh, was in Ohio as well, but just passed through it on my way to Kentucky, working with uh, Chris Short's group. Been very fortunate that Chris has had me down four or five times to Somerset, Kentucky. We did a one-day leadership workshop, and we actually did that two days in a row with different groups, and uh, always get really good feedback on that leadership. And for me, and you know, tell me if you agree with this or disagree with this, to me, leadership is the key to retention. I think that uh, we've heard it a thousand times if we've heard it once, and that is people don't quit jobs, people quit bosses. So for people to really work on those soft skills and become better leaders, I think is going to be the key to them keeping the folks they need to make sure that they are getting to where they want to be staffing wise so that they can give great Domino's Pizza experiences. And now more than ever, Drew, I think that if we can give those great experiences and we can be nice to folk, we've got a huge opportunity to really bridge the gap and become that dominant number one. I agree, Sam. Leadership. I mean, it's, it's, uh, we keep saying it, right? The speed of the leader determines the pace of the pack. So it, it, it's everything. And we've talked about that a few times on here with, you know, like the Facebook group posts of, oh my gosh, I have no people. Look at my five star. Oh my gosh, I have no people. Look at my five star. So yeah, it's all leadership. It's, 
it's more though, it's more though, if I may, it's like leadership anonymous. Like at some point you have to look around and go, I may need help. And that's, that's the difference. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. Yeah. I think, I think the sooner a leader that is just beginning their path along their development realizes, and you know, I said this two or three times in the last episode that asking for help is a sign of strength, not a sign of weakness. I think that's when they really start to accelerate their growth, when they start to incorporate their teams into the planning and the execution of what they're trying to accomplish, which should be great Domino's Pizza experiences for all their customers. I think that's when they really start to kick it into high gear. You know, everyone we see, the folks that are doing the very, very best are always talking about the team. And you heard in our episode with, uh, with Jeremy, you know, he talked about becoming supervisor of the year because of very little that he had done and all about what his managers has, had done. And today when we talked to Stephanie, you know, she's going to talk about how even though she was the trainer of the year, they've got a group of trainers down at RPM that just do a fantastic job. So, you know, you got to get people involved. Just like you said, Drew, getting people involved is the key to the great Domino's Pizza experiences and and I think it's the key to you having fun at the job. One of the things that you said in the last episode that I really liked, and uh, just so you know, I used it last week in my workshop, is what we sell is what? Dreams. Easy. We sell easy. We want to make your job easier and we want to make your job more fun. I totally. I, I you said it. Trust me. Yeah, I, I can, totally remember it now. I can at, roll at the, the tape. moment. I've been telling people that that we're a salesman. We sell. We sell the dream. That's what I've been teaching the last two weeks. So, so forgive me for, for being on the wrong script in my head. No, no worries. So we sell the dream, but we make it easy. How about that? That works. I like that a ton. Cool. So speaking of selling the dream, making it easy and uh, having great customer experiences because we're being nice. I think it'd be nice if we heard from Tom Petty. So Sam, let's talk training. I understand that you might want to talk about the nice side of fast because we've been talking fast probably the last two or three episodes now. Yeah, I think it's really important. At Domino's Pizza, we've done a great job of quantifying exactly what the fast is. And we look at it on the OER and we score it. And it's one of the things that we put up in our stores and how are we doing at this and how are we doing at that? A lot of the folks that we've interviewed talk about their CSAT and how well they're doing. And to me, that has a lot to do with being nice. And our friends down in Virginia at Commonwealth Pizza, Becca and David, they're constantly in their personal Facebook group, putting up who got the best tracker feedback of the day, and then they'll post feedback that they got. So they're really recognizing the nice part of the job. And in fact, when Ray started Commonwealth Pizza with Tom, you know, one of their things was free kindness with every order. I mean, what, what a simple, simple idea, yet what an amazing idea. We've got to be nice. And you and I spent some time together. We were in Ohio and, you know, we went to that restaurant where we had lunch. And I think we experienced nice pretty well. Those folks were really nice. Oh, yeah, they were. But I think what I'd like to see along with the nice is a filter between what's appropriate to say and what's not appropriate to say. All right. So I'm going to throw up the sarcasm warning ahead. I may need to throw that up occasionally. So sarcasm warning ahead. The, the glass sneeze guard 
and the front counter are not soundproof barriers. That's right. No, Your they're customer not. can hear everything you say, especially when you're yep. not talking to them. Yes, they can. And some of them are actually listening just to see how bad Bobby treated you last night on Friday night state. So I have so many stories right now, Sam, and all like literally happened yesterday. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? I mean, even I'll go through the McDonald's drive through and the person giving me my order won't even look at me because they're still engaged in conversation that I don't need to hear. It's just amazing. But, you know, tell me about what you saw yesterday. Yesterday, while I was teaching class for Chris Slater's group and we were going through how energy is contagious, my wife Jody was mystery shopping stores because the week before I taught the class for the GMs. So it was a great opportunity to see what the GMs had done. They had determined something that they would do in their stores that first weekend. And now some second thing they would do this week. So the idea was she could go into the stores and should see some change. And I didn't tell her what the change would be, but she picked up on the stores that did change. So let me just give the first one, which was a great one. One of the stores had, when I went through the first time, had 300 bucks, $300 signing bonus on the reader board. And when I went in and ordered my large pepperoni pizza, I waited my eight minutes, 10 minutes. And as they're giving it to me, I go, how do I get that 300 bucks? The driver looks at me, shrugs his shoulders and goes, hold on turns to the manager who's on the cutting edge, by the way, they're doing like a big, big hour, like, like a, what you do on a Monday kind of hour. <laughs> and the manager goes hundred hours, no infractions, but I can't even get his tone of voice. It was so pissed off that he was being Let me asked. see if I can get it. You ready? I'm going to, I'm going to do a little improv here. Are you ready? Go for it. That's my cutting edge sound. Okay. It's a hundred hours, no infractions. You get the money. You got any other questions, man? Uh, I wish the end was there. It wasn't. It was literally just 100 hours, no infractions. Wow. Now, I mentioned this in the GM class, and the GM was like like viscerally upset. And I'm like, dude, it's, it's not you. Everybody gets down in the weeds, and I get that. So now fast forward to yesterday. The reader board says, now hiring one CSR position. Well, I like it. Which is what we had talked about, right? Even if you need 35 people, don't tell them you need 35. No one wants to be one of 35. Someone wants to be one of one though, right? Yeah, absolutely. Make them feel like they won the job game. And so when Jody gets her pizza and does the same thing, what do I, you guys look like you're having fun, which they did. Like they were actually having fun this time. She goes, she goes cool. what do I need to do to apply? Literally all six people on the clock, like come to the front counter and start telling her how awesome it would be to work there and why she would be a great part of it. It was a great atmosphere and a complete 180. And the GM did all of it. And it was so cool to see that they had implemented a couple things from the class. Let me jump in there for just one second. Go for it. You know, I think that, you know, I'm seeing similar type of interactions when I go into stores, as you saw the first time. And what I want to make sure our listeners understand is that neither Drew or myself, and yes, Drew, I'm going to talk for you. Neither Drew or, my, or myself think that you're a bad leader. What we think is that you're in the weeds and you've been in the weeds for so long that it's possible that you've become jaded to what it is you really need to do because maybe you're not thinking about it as much as you can and how can you get out of it? And maybe you're thinking about because it's been so bad, why am I here and why is this happening to me? You got to think about what you can do to get out of it. And, and 
you know, with a little bit of coaching, you could turn that 30 second interaction into your next best team member like Jody saw when she walked in. Now, who knows if that team was having a good day or a bad day? I don't know. But they had been coached to say, if somebody wants to join the team, that's your ticket out of that fifth shift that next week or your sixth shift or that open to close. And what you should do when somebody walks in and says, are you hiring? You should look at them like they are your savior. Do you working so much and start selling the job? If you tell somebody, oh man, you don't want to work here. It sucks. We don't have any fun. And oh my God, I'm working so much and I'm always tired. And then you're wondering why you don't have any applicant flow. Hmm. Could be something to that. Your team may be telling their friends and family it's no energy and it sucks and your customers see it. So along those lines, like, like that store got, got through, they got the couple first downs, they scored the touchdown, but they missed the extra point, Sam, because they actually made her fill out the application, which was the only store of seven that did that. That's right. Wow. In, in seven stores, she said, are you hiring? And only one was like, here's the app. We're not letting you leave till you fill it out. They never called her back. Yeah. Here's what's really important about what you just said. Two things. One really good, one really bad. I'm sure the listeners already picked up on it, but I just want to reiterate it because it's so important. If somebody asks if you are hiring, do not let them leave until they fill out an application. And if you're driving everybody to jobs.dominos.com because it's easier for you, you got to have paper applications available for the one or two people that do walk in. You need every available candidate that's out there. And please, please have paper applications available. And then the second part where they didn't call her back, I would say, if you know you're not going to have time to call her back, interview her on the spot. Don't let her leave until you've interviewed. And man, would I have loved to have been a fly on the wall for that interview with Jody. She was, she's actually waiting for it. As, as we're doing this podcast, she's texting me like they still haven't called. They still haven't called. So, so That's great. there's that part. Now, Sam, in the beginning, you were talking about quantifying nice and, and CSAT. Can I tell you something else that happened yesterday? Love to hear it. So, we're looking to get lunch real quick before I get into the three hour class and, and we go and it's weird, right? Everywhere is weird right now. Some of the restaurants aren't open at 1130. Some of them are drive through only. And I'm, I'm dressed nice because I'm teaching class. I don't actually want to do drive through. Right. So we go into, if you know, the place five guys, you know, the place five guys, Sam. I do know the place and rarely have I gone into one and there's been five guys in there. Yeah. There's usually more people. We go in and we're having lunch and I'm, I'm walking through what to look for with Jody on the, on the mystery shop. So she starts doing it in the store, which by the way, Sam, I know you do it. That's how we figured out the, the other restaurant that we talked about in the previous episode. Like we start looking at things because that's just who we are. So she's watching and their energy level is super high. There's like six of them on the clock super high. It's 1130. They're not terribly busy, but they're doing all the things they normally do. When somebody comes in, they call out how many people are walking in the door. When your order is done, they call out how many burgers go on the grill. There's talking on the grill and you can hear it. The person at the end 
is talking about what they need to finish the order. And then they're calling out the order. Like there's a nice flow to it. You could hear the manager calling out, you know, great looking burger and, and giving kudos to people along the line. Wait a minute. You're telling me they're communicating about the job they're trying to get done. Yeah. And, and it's frightening because again, two places in, in, in Dayton, the Skyline Chili and this five guys were really good energy. And then I went through stores and didn't see it, which is like, like, oh my gosh, like we don't, we don't see it because we're just head down in the dough. Here's the cool part, Sam. And this is the quantifiable part. We just call the manager over. We're like, we just want to let you know your store has really good energy. How'd you do that? Sam five guys runs a two time a week mystery shop program. So, so follow this for a second, twice a week, at completely random times, a random customer is going to come in and get their food paid for for free from corporate and fill out a little survey. And if the store gets 100% on the survey, they get 350 bucks to split. Wait a second. So they have the opportunity just by being nice to make 700 bucks a week? As the GM said, he didn't even say being nice. He said they have the opportunity by doing their job to split an extra 700 bucks a week amongst whoever's on the clock. And I hear what you're saying there just by doing their job. Uh, I'm just going to throw this out there and maybe you'll agree. Maybe you'll disagree. But gang, if you want to be the dominant number one and Domino's Pizza wants to continue to be the number one pizza company in the world and in every neighborhood, then part of your job is being nice. It has to be an expectation up front. It's got to be. And, and I hear all the time people are like, oh, in the interview, I ask them to smile and say, welcome to Domino's. That's great. Now, on their first day, do they see that happen in the store? Because if they don't, your interview question of that is irrelevant. You hired the right person and they're allowed to never use that skill. So how do you quantify it? I, I'm, impressed that they're ask, I'm impressed that they're asking that in the interview. I mean, for me, I see a lot of interviews simply, do you have a license? Will you pass an MVR? great. When can you start? So the fact that they're making sure they smile and they're asking, that's a great first step. But I like what you're saying as well. Make sure you're following up on that first day on the job. Well, Sam, so, so here's a piece for those listening. I think Jody and I figured out how to match that kind of mystery shop. So if you're interested in quantifying your niceness to your crew, let me know. Reach out. Nice. That's awesome. I think, you know, back in the day when I started and go ahead, Drew, say a hundred years ago. You did. I didn't have to. When I started, we did mystery shoppers all the time. I think the weakness of the program was it only took a month or two to figure out who the mystery shopper was. And then you were always on your best game for that particular customer. It was like, it was like some stores do when the evaluator comes in. Some things change just a little bit. Totally get it. But today, through the joy of social media, I can register a hundred people and you'll never know who it is. I can get to a place where it's, it works. It gives you a quantifiable number for if your store. And that was one of the things the GM said too, was to get the perfect, they had a one to five question for enthusiasm level of the store. And if they didn't get a five, they didn't get the perfect and they didn't get paid. Yeah. And I think that's important. The enthusiasm is... I don't know, maybe we should write a book called The Energy Bus, or maybe we should put it in every leadership book ever written that the energy of the leader is important. Or maybe we should ask Kevin Shaw what he thinks about the level of energy. Or heck, maybe we should ask Anthony Satterwhite. Oh, we could. Now, for those of you thinking, okay, wait, they're doing two a week. So as soon as the second one comes through, they can let their guard down. 
Yep. The GM said they don't get the report till Monday morning. So they have no idea when it happened during the week. They have no idea if it's happened. It's actually a fabulous system to get the best out of your people and keep your people working at their best. So put your money where your mouth is. Measure what matters to you. Measure nice, measure enthusiasm because you measure fast, you measure food, you measure labor, maybe measure training too. That would be super. Yeah. You may remember our mutual friend, Curtis Moore, when he was uh, doing some training classes, we were doing some things on customer service and he would walk into stores with his camera rolling and then show the videos the next day in class. And it was, it was eye opening for some folks. I mean, I think for me and why I would give our folks just a little bit of, of latitude and a whole lot of understanding is because we're spending 8, 10, 12, 16 hours on our side of the counter and we forget what's going on on the other side of the counter and how important it is that every guest, every customer, every friend, as Jeremy would say, that comes in deserves our very best. And then when we're on that side of the counter, when we go into a Five Guys or we go into a McDonald's or we go into whatever restaurant it is, then suddenly our awareness is very heightened at how well they should be treating us. Maybe there's a golden rule in life or something that says, do unto others the way you would have them do unto you. And I think every now and then as a leader, maybe the way to coach people to be nice would not be to yell at them and say, hey, you got to be nicer, but maybe put them on the other side of the counter physically and say, now I'm going to just act to you the way you acted that customer. And you tell me whether or not you'd want to come back and treat it as a learning experience and, and be a coach and be a mentor and, and show people what they actually just did and then look at them and say, hey, listen, I understand why you did it. We're busy. We've been here. We're on this side of the counter all the time. It's really, really important that we don't forget the experience on the other side of the counter and why people are coming in and funding our paychecks. Being nice is just like, well, your bathroom, Sam. You're in your bathroom a lot. And sometimes you don't see the dirt and dust start to gather around it. You don't see the stuff that starts to grow in your bathroom because you're there all the time. You don't see what's going on because you're there all the time. And then one day you look around and your bathroom's really gross. And you're like, how did this happen? Well, it's that gradual than sudden. And I think our nice to customers and nice to our own team is that gradual but sudden that we occasionally forget to be nice because we're busy. And over time, suddenly you look around and go, wow, no one is nice. Yeah. And I, you know, that whole gradual to sudden that reminds me of when you and I were together in Gronemann stores and you were doing your better than yesterday visit system. And we talked about the whole gradual to nice thing. It's so easy a concept to understand when you start to think about it. And I think that a really good example for our listeners could be think about when your operations evaluator comes into the store and starts pointing things out that you just don't see because the baseboard was clean and then one day it wasn't clean and then one day it was gross but it happened over the course of four five or six weeks so you know when it comes to cleaning i had a manager once teach me that if we clean things before they get dirty they never get dirty i think when it comes to customers if we're just always nice 
then we never get rude. I agree, Sam. And you know, as we're talking this through, maybe, maybe just maybe, and we already have our stuff lined up for our next virtual training event number three, where we're doing training and coaching. Maybe virtual training event number four should be nice. What do you think? Let's set it in stone right now. I think that is absolutely nice. Virtual training event number four will be all around nice. And we'll come up with some segments to help you take your team from where they are now to where they want to be. So virtual training for all around nice. That's a great idea, Drew. And since I mentioned virtual training event three, I think we've talked enough training for today, Sam. Let's cut to an ad. Hey, Drew, we've got two virtual trainings in and the listeners are telling us that they want more. I hear that too, Sam. So you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for October 26th for Drew and Sam Talk Training Virtual Training Event 3. I like it. Let's discuss effective training, performance coaching, and feedback with a flourish all in time for the big Halloween weekend. And you know what? Let's charge the 49 bucks to get in for the two-hour event. But Sam, I think we've got something special for our listeners. Yeah, let's do that $5 discount. We'll use discount code PODCAST. For any of our loyal listeners, you can save five bucks off that already ridiculously low price of just 49 bucks. Where should they register, Drew? To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. Okay, so that's our ad for virtual training event number three. As a reminder, coming up on Tuesday, October 26th. And to register for that, which you should probably be do right now, go to trainwithbty.com and register for virtual training event three. Yes, I said virtual training event three, which means there was virtual training event one and virtual training event two. Drew, is there any way possible if I missed those first two great training events that I could see a recorded version? Why, yes, they're available on trainwithbty.com. Click on the shop at the top and you can choose from either one of the two. It's a one-time view. So um, when you click on it, uh, be ready to, once you buy it and then click on it, be ready to watch it because once you do, it's gone. And just as a reminder, in virtual training event one, we talked all about setting full-fledged expectations, holding people able through accountability and recognition with impact. Virtual training event two was... Front-end speed, dispatching with efficiency. And the third one... Aces in their places. Which is funny that I would forget that because I always tell people don't do that which is funny because that's exactly what we do in aces in their places we set priorities and spoiler alert we do tell you to put aces in places we just go into it a lot deeper than anybody ever has before and those priorities that drew just talked about are a really important part of making that work so uh let's jump into our book and let's hear that twilight zone sound clip books books all the books i'll need all the books all the books i'll ever want so originally published in 2013 authors phil jackson and hugh delante have written a book called 11 rings and i'm still scratching my head a little bit why it's not called 13 rings any thoughts on that drew because i think they wrote it before he won the last two but if you look at the cover all five lakers rings are on there and all six bulls rings are on there what is missing 
What is missing are two Knicks rings. Was he not part of two championship teams? Yeah, he was. So, but in the so maybe twelve and a half rings. No, in the beginning of the book, he says like the first ring he was on the injured list, and the team voted him in. Right, and then yeah. the second he was on the bench. So I think it's more eleven rings that he was the coach for. Yeah, I get that, but man, if I'm Phil and I got thirteen rings and I'm writing a book, it's called thirteen rings. I'm just saying. I get that. Uh, for those of our listeners that that may not be sport ball fans. Uh, Phil Jackson was the head coach for the Bulls for this Michael Jordan guy. You may have heard of him. Air Jordans were named after him. And then for the Lakers, for two greats, Shaq, who is the, he is literally Sam 50% bigger than me and uh, Kobe Bryant on that team. Now you might think, why are Drew and Sam talking about a sport ball book? Because this, Although he talks about basketball, and I say sport ball just jokingly, he talks about basketball in the book. And if you're not a basketball fan, this book might not be for you. But Sam, what does he actually talk about throughout this book? He talks about how he was able to lead teams to those 11 rings and how he was able to be a leader of what some might call some pretty strong personalities and how he was able to use his teachings and oh my gosh, it goes into depth on his teachings and the things he believes. It's a pretty good story for me personally. He was the coach of the Bulls and when they were starting to make their run, their main roadblock for three seasons in a row were my beloved Detroit Pistons and the bad boys. So I was a big fan of basketball during that era. In fact, I use Michael Jackson in my leadership workshop michael jordan i said michael jackson in the workshop last week too and i'm like you know i'll bet michael didn't have very many basketball skills but anyways michael jordan i use him in my workshop because i think he's arguably the best player to ever play the game and if he's not and obviously there's some great discussions around that he's certainly darn good there's no argument about that absolutely and not only are they good, but it's all the egos, right? And and Phil even goes into talking about how pre-1980, that basketball was about egos. And it was about give the ball to this one guy and kind of let them do their thing. And I'll be honest, I don't watch a lot of basketball today because that's how I feel it's gotten to again, where it's a lot of one Agreed. guy gets the ball. And I, I used to love watching the Phoenix Suns of old because Steve Nash would go and, and everybody touched the ball and you never knew who was who was shooting. Uh, the Golden State Warriors, and they were on their run. I liked watching them because it was the same thing. There's ball movement. Everybody's on the team. You never know where it's coming from. Any given night, anybody can step up and carry the load. In this, Phil talks about taking a team as a tribe from me to we. And and that, yeah. for me, is that leadership moment. And it's it doesn't matter what you're in, going from me to we is is that that step. I think to that tribal leadership thing, he talks about the five phases of tribal leadership that he had learned through a book. And I think what was really impressive to me was even though in a very high pressure, high demand, what have you done for me lately type of position, which I would consider any professional sporting coach to have that, you know, you are taxed or tasked to win right away. Bill didn't rush going through the five steps of tribal leadership. He understood 
that you needed to go from step one to step two and you needed to spend a little time in step two and then you needed to go to step three and you needed to go to step four. And when he saw the writing on the wall that his Chicago Bulls, the six-time champions, were ready to go to step five, that's when he started doing things a little different. It seemed to me that with both the Bulls and the Lakers, he led in the way that his team needed him to lead at the time. And he kept elevating his leadership game as his team bought more and more and more into the process. And if I took anything at all out of the, out of the book, Bill was really big into teaching a process. And then when the process got off course, he coached the process, not the team Per se. You know, a lot of people who maybe haven't dug deep into Phil's legacy say, yeah, well, anybody could win six championships with Michael Jordan or anybody could win five championships with Kobe Bryant. No, I, I, I mean, the year he left the Lakers, Kobe was still there and they went less than 500. The team went into a complete state of disarray. And I think if I learned nothing else from the book, and, you know, in my younger days of being a sports fan, which I was much more avid as a sports fan when I was younger, but Drew, I used to always say, I don't know how important the coach is. He's not the one out on the field making the passes. He's not out the one making the buckets. But the older I get and the more I understand the importance of leadership, the more important I think that the coach and the leader are, the more important that I think that the Jeremy Hills of the world as multi-level supervisors how important they truly are to get the very best out of their very talented players. I can't stress enough how important it is for you to be a leader and let your team be a team and you continue to guide them. And I think that's what Phil talks a lot about in this book. He is not on the court shooting. He's not on the court passing. And he is very clear. He doesn't even call plays. Yeah. Yeah. That was amazing to me. But instantly then I'm like, what's he doing? And then he lays it out. He does the prep. He sets them up. It's all about fundamentals. He talks about when he takes over the Lakers, how Rick Fox, who's like a 10-year vet at that point, loved it because he thought he was back in seventh grade because all they were doing were dribbling and passing drills. They're making $10 million a year doing dribbling and passing drills because if I can't get past that, I can't get to the next stuff. Yeah, the, the fundamentals are so important. It's very interesting reading through. Now, I'm going to digress for a second because when you're reading through, Bill drops an insane amount of, I was reading Lao Tzu this week and the Dalai Lama. And then I was um, eating dinner with Bruce Hornsby from the Eagles. And you're like, oh my gosh, like, like it's insane the way he drops the bits of knowledge from where he's picking stuff up. He's obviously a very well-read and very well-educated dude. And he was able to put his knowledge and his experiences into systems that worked very well with super high ego, super high talented, super high paid personnel. And I mean, if you think these guys aren't a handful to deal with, imagine spending a day with Dennis Rodman. Oh my Lord. Now make that 130 days in a row. Yeah, it's it, it's crazy. I enjoyed this book, not because of the basketball stories. I, I wasn't a huge Bulls or Lakers fan because, well, during the Bulls run, I was a Knicks fan who were getting beat by the Pistons, who were then getting beat by the 
Bulls. And then during the Lakers run, I just kind of stopped watching basketball. But the leadership piece of it, talking about how he lets them grow. Let's be honest. If you're not from LA, it's hard to be a Lakers fan. It's like if you're not from New York, it's hard to be a, a Yankees fan. Yeah, but see, so growing up though, Kareem was was my guy. So sure. I mean, yeah, I get that. Okay. But but that said, the the leadership stuff in here, like step away from the basketball and and Sam and I joke, okay, so this book is whatever, 400, 360 pages long. I, I get to places where I start to skim. And in this book, when he stops talking leadership and starts describing like game six of the 99 playoffs, I'm skimming. I don't need the sports center recap. I'm looking for the other pieces. I'm looking for the off season part or the, the, how he dealt with this conflict piece. So for me, I read the book a little on the faster side, because as soon as he gets into the game piece, I'm skimming because there's not a whole lot. It's, it's just the basketball piece, which again, this is what the book is supposed to be. He says it in the beginning. It's not really a leadership book. It's totally a leadership book that has basketball in it. So if you can get to a place where you're skimming through the basketball games and picking up on the leadership stuff, like, like you said, Sam, like, like he's, his situational leadership ability is insane to, to not crank on Michael Jordan, give him space, but then crank on this guy because he knows if, if Scotty Pippen steps up, then, then Scotty can take some of the load and, and Michael's got the media he's dealing with at one point where he talks about, he took all of the evil onto him. So he was the only one doing the press conferences so that all of the media attention was on him and he could let the team be like, that's all situational leadership. And you've got to know, when your team needs that piece of leadership. And that's where he's just amazing in this book. Yeah, I thought that was great. The other part that I thought was very interesting is he talked about, you know, there's some leaders that like to give the big talk, the let's go out and win for the Gipper talk. And he was completely the opposite. He wanted to have his team find space in their mind and clear their minds before their game so that they could think about all of that dribbling and passing they'd done in practice. And there's a video that I just saw a couple of days ago about Michael Jordan. And it asked him, do you ever get nervous before a game? And he looked at the camera and he shook his head and he said, yeah, I get nervous before every game. He says, I think if you're not getting nervous, then you don't really understand what you're going in to do. And if you've listened to any great, public speaker, they all talk about the butterflies in their stomach before they go on stage. But then Michael looks at the camera and he says, but as soon as the ball goes up in the air for that opening tip, I know that the fundamentals that I've practiced, the dribbling, the passing, the making the layups are going to take over and I'm going to basically be on autopilot. And because of the system that Phil put in and he allowed the players to read the defense and do what they thought was best to win. I mean, they had six championship rings. There's proof in the pudding, as they say. And from Phil's account, and obviously it was Phil's account, but from Phil's account, the players seemed to like it. They seemed to enjoy working under that system. And I got to believe if you were anybody other than Michael Jordan on that team, if there wasn't that system in place that got the whole team involved, it could pretty quickly turn into, and I think they were dubbed this early on before Phil got there, Michael and the Jordanettes. 
I, I mean, I wouldn't want to be a professional basketball player that was a backup singer. I want to be part of the team. And I think that uh, Phil did a great job of getting all of those very talented individuals involved when there was one person that was just amazingly talented. And I think the lesson there for our listeners, Drew, is I was guilty of this a lot as a young leader. I went around the store thumping my chest saying, I'm the fastest pizza maker and you will never beat me. And I think that made people think, A, I was arrogant and cocky, which was true. But B, it made them think you're not interested in creating a team here. You're interested in making sure you're the best, which is no way to deliver great customer experiences. I think if you're the best, I can hear my grandfather's voice in my head right now. Julius, if you're listening, which I know you're not, but he used to say, Sam, if you're great, you don't have to tell the world. The world will tell you. And I think that's so important. And I think when you listen to Jeremy Hill's interview, he understands that completely. I think if we were in an honest moment where Jeremy knew it wouldn't get out and we said, hey, man, are you a good supervisor? He'd look us straight in the eye and say, yes, I am. But what he constantly is saying outwardly, and I think he truly believes this as well, he says, I am because of all the great people below him. You know, you've got to have you've got to have some fundamental great ingredients. You've got to have people that want to develop and want to learn and want to do a good job. But then you've got to be Phil Jackson and you've got to make the best out of the ingredients you've got so that the sum of the whole is way better than the sum of the individual parts. A couple years ago when I was with corporate, we had Gallup do some work and they have the strength finders. So I believe it's called Clifton's strength finders. It's a talent measurement. Because the way they describe it is Michael Jordan's not the only person that is in the gym playing basketball a hundred hours a week. There's a couple thousand other people doing it. So talent comes into play. I mention this because there are plenty of people who've tried to do what Phil Jackson did with teams that didn't have the talent and he didn't get the results. They might get a better, they might get better than they did without it. But you've got to have some talent. So before we wrap up this book, as you're looking at your team, fundamentals and practice and setting them up for success will get you to a level. Let's call it for lack of under naming a four star, but picking the right people, having the right people on the bus, picking those with the talent, the ones that are smiling, the ones that bring the energy. That's what gets you that next level. That's what makes you that dominant player. That's what brings it to that unstoppable force. Yeah. And I think that's so important. And a lot of our listeners are saying, but you don't understand, Drew, my bus is pulling up to a bus stop right now and there's nobody waiting to get on. And we both get that. I have a feeling and I don't know what I'm basing this feeling on other than some of the things I'm reading, but I think the floodgates are about to open gang. I think the applications are going to start flowing in. I think it's only a matter of time before people realize that they're going to have to work to get the money they want to provide for their family and provide the things they want. And when that day comes, you had better be on your A game with interviewing and selecting the right people so that you can properly fill your bus up with enough talent and take them to places that you've never been before. The day is coming. I can feel it and be ready for it. So Drew, Bill Jackson, 11 rings. 
You're going to buy it and ship it out. You're going to carry it around in your backpack. Is it going to be on the desk, on the shelf, or is this one you're going to donate? This might be the lowest scoring one because this there's nothing for me to take out of this book now that I've read it. Like, there's no reason to go back to it a second time. So this is a coin, like it's on the shelf right now. In a year when we've read another 26 books, it might end up in that donation bin as my shelf fills up. I feel bad saying in the donation bin because I truly think it was a good read. It is. Yeah. And I enjoyed it, but I'm not going to read it again. And I'm not going to push a, uh, as I open up the book and just look at the page number here, I'm not going to push a 368 page book on a general manager that is already working more than they should, even though I think personal development is important. So I think for this one, it's not going to, it's going to go in the donation bin for me as well. Uh, but it's going to go straight to our editor in chief, Lucas, who is a huge sports ball fan. Nice. And uh, I think he will enjoy this book to no end. So, Lucas, as you're editing this, you got a pretty exciting book coming your way. For our listeners, if you enjoy basketball and you want to be a better leader, I'd read the book. Uh, if you don't enjoy basketball, <laughs> I'd probably skip this one in light of something that gets straighter to the point for you. I agree. Uh, I think we can go right into your favorite segment, Taken. So why don't we just have Liam take it away? I do have are a very particular set of skills. Skills I've acquired over a very long career. So Sam, what have you taken from the stores? I continue to take away things that I already knew, but they're being reinforced. And the thing I really like about that is that you know, my time in the stores is a little bit in the rearview mirror. Is it? So I like to see that the things it is, I like to see the things that I think are important are still showing to be important. And what I'm seeing is the importance of leadership. And the reason I'm saying that and why I'm using that in this segment is because I took it from last week's workshop. In our icebreaker, one of the questions I ask is, who is your worst boss ever? And who was your best leader ever? And over the two days, seven of the respondents all named the same best leader who was their current director of operations, uh, Ben, down there in Kentucky. So all seven of them that said that, I had seen them in workshops before, like a year ago, and some of them two years ago. So. It led me to believe that because they thought Ben was their best leader ever, that he was helping to create some retention in the leadership ranks, which is, of course, going to lead to retention in the hourly team member ranks. And they weren't saying it because he was in the room, because truth be told, he wasn't in the room the first day. And that's where five of them said it. He was in the room the second day. And I think a couple of them were a little skittish to say it because he was in the room. But I just can't stress enough the importance of being the leader that you would want to be led by if you want to have a strong team that's going to take you places. And the importance of knowing and understanding that you are always on stage and everything that you do, people are watching. And you hear it in every workshop you ever go to around leadership and you see it in every book that you ever read. You've got to lead by example. You've got to lead by example. You've got to lead by example. 
what you need to know, here's a little dirty, here's a dirty little secret about leading by example. You don't get a choice. You do lead by example. People are going to watch you. And if that example is bad, you're leading by example. It's just a bad example. So your choice, and you do have a choice, and it's something that you can choose regardless of what's going on in your life. Your choice is what example are you going to lead by and what is going to be your pace that you set for your pack. So that's what I've taken. Drew, how about you? What have you taken, bud? I have an untaken. Untaken? Yes. So Are you taking one back? So, no. What I saw makes me want to do the opposite. Okay. I, I Okay. I'm with you. So, Sam, when was the last time you went on a tour of a meat packing facility? You know, where the sausage is made. I'm just going to say that I don't know... I don't think I've ever been on a tour of a meatpacking facility. And now I'm having a little game of mental ping pong inside my head of whether or not I want to. Right. No one wants to see how the sausage is made. They don't. They just don't. So, so high. We're talking about what you say and how the sneeze guard and the front counter are not a sound barrier. Your customers can see everything. And as you go to cutting edge and the cut table comes down, they can see everything. And no one wants to see you cut the bag of garlic oil blend, which is some mystery yellow goop, pour it into a bottle to be put on their pizza. No one wants to see you prepping breadsticks, wipe your nose, and then start prepping breadsticks again. Let's think about what we're doing and where we're doing it. Let's leave the pizza theater as the stage and do all of that sausage making somewhere else no one wants to see you cut the bag of sauce and pour it into the sauce bucket right in front of them no one wants to see that so so think of your production area as the stage of the pizza theater and anywhere the customer can't see is the back of stage and some of you are going but drew they can see everywhere no they can't there are places in every store the customer can't see prep that stuff there please please don't Put the, the goop and the slime and the weirdness right there on your front counter as the second thing the customer sees when they come in the door. Can we, can we just do that, please? So I think what I hear you saying is that we should let Dorothy think there is a wizard. Don't let him see behind the curtain. Don't let him see behind the curtain. And for those of you that are in stores where they can see everything, and yes, there are a couple of them out there. Think about the last time you were at a concert or the last time you were at a live performance. Your attention goes to wherever the action is. So your pizza theater should be where the action is. And let's at least draw attention to that and not because you're pouring the unknown gob into a bottle. I mean, again, back to what we talked about during Let's Talk Training and NICE. We've got to put ourselves on the other side of the counter occasionally and see what's going on and see what our customers are seeing. And I think some of us would have an eye-opening experience if we set a timer for 10 minutes and went and stood in the customer area, didn't tell anybody what you're doing, and just watched and listened. I think it would be an eye-opening experience for you. So I'll give give you this one. And this one came from Jody because she was like, I get it. I can see that they're not folding boxes again. So fold some boxes. Build a box wall. And when you need to do the prep, build the box wall, do the prep, then take the box wall down. It's not going to break anything. It's not going to make anybody mad. 
It just hides that little bit of sausage making for a couple minutes. Like find a solution, folks, because when you stop to think about it, even the, even the, the prepping of a pan with the squeeze bottle and the brush and, and the brush has kind of been there for a while and the squeeze bottle usually doesn't look awesome. Just sit in the lobby for a second and remove your Domino's thoughts and just look at it from a customer and say, what other business have I ever seen this level of the sausage being made? And the answer is you haven't. So don't. Yeah. Please don't. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, any open kitchen concept that you have, all of the prep work is done out of sight, at least all the ones that I can think of. I mean, you talked about your trip to five guys. That's an open kitchen concept. Yep. And, and they, have, they have a single door back room area away from the cooking station where their prep is done. Yeah. I mean, an open kitchen is an amazing thing. It's, it, it allows for a lot of great things. It allows people to see their food being prepared and how great we are and how much skill we have. I would agree with Drew that you don't need to see the sausage being made. You don't need to see all the prep work. I think that's a great untaken, Drew. I love it. If that's the case and you like that, Sam, I think we go into an ad for our next virtual training event. Hey, Drew, we've got two virtual trainings in and the listeners are telling us that they want more. I hear that too, Sam. So you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for October 26th for Drew and Sam Talk Training Virtual Training Event 3. I like it. Let's discuss effective training, performance coaching, and feedback with a flourish all in time for the big Halloween weekend. And you know what? Let's charge the 49 bucks to get in for the two-hour event. But Sam, I think we've got something special for our listeners. Yeah, let's do that $5 discount. We'll use discount code PODCAST. For any of our loyal listeners, you can save five bucks off that already ridiculously low price of just 49 bucks. Where should they register, Drew? To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. In this podcast, we actually have a guest, Sam, and that guest is Stephanie Sigwald, 2020 Franchise Trainer of the Year. And as we listen to her as she's talking with us, Sam, there are two things that come to mind. One, she tells us she's not actually a trainer, which is really funny. And two, Purple Monkey Dishwasher. Purple Monkey Dishwasher. Anthony Satterwhite, you're going to want to take notes of that. This week on the podcast, we get the pleasure of being joined by the 2020 Trainer of the Year, Stephanie Sigwald. Stephanie, how are you doing today? I am doing wonderful. How are you doing? Fantastic. Sam, are you doing fantastic? Oh, Drew, if I was doing any better, I would be in New Orleans. (laughs) We can't all be down there. Oh, we could all be down there, actually. So, you know what? We start these with our guests usually in the same way, Stephanie. So for our listeners who may not know you, why don't, you, why don't we just start with your story? What's your domino story, Stephanie? All right. Well, it's very similar to most stories you've heard. I started as a driver the week before I started college and then did not get my real job that I got my degree in because I was too much in love with dominoes and I worked my way up. I um, actually started in Phoenix with Team USA, 
and then moved to New Orleans and became part of the fabulous RPM Pizza team, where I did everything from marketing to the OER coach to data analysis and somehow landed on the role that they created for me now, which is operations development director, which is not really resource center, not really operations, but a good tie in between the both where I kind of help operations with the resource center stuff. And I help the resource center with operations stuff. Kind of like a pizza go between. Yes. I like it. Wow. Sign me up. <laughs> it's a great job because I get to do all the fun stuff too. Like if there's a new product, I get to be the one that rolls that out or new systems like cutting edge or really anything that's changing. I get to help make sense of it to the team. So, so you bring up cutting edge um, word on the street is that you may have played a big part in rolling out cutting edge to one or two of the stores that RPM runs. Yeah, just, just one or 200, just a small role in um, that part. Yeah. <laughs> um, basically I was the person that rolled them out physically in the stores for the most part to teach the team what cutting edge was. So for the naysayers out there, the naysayers of cutting edge, and you know, if you're ever on the Facebook general managers page, there's obviously some naysayers. And my experience would be that they have no experience on cutting edge yet. What would you say to somebody that says it won't work at my volume or the old system wasn't broken or any of the other excuses that people that are struggling with change management are saying out there, what kinds of things would you say them do to make the sale? Overall, I can see why they're scared. Change is a horribly scary thing, especially when you take something so fundamental that we've done in our business of labeling the pizzas and pre-folding boxes that you can't imagine life without it. So if you start saying there's no labels, you go, but how does everything work? And your brain just kind of explodes because you can't imagine it. So the best advice that I have for those people is to see it in person. It works in low volume, in high volume stores, in understaffed stores or stores that are incredibly staffed and have everybody doing a specific job. It works there too. It's just so much better because it uses the labor more efficiently where you're not wasting time folding boxes in the back, or you're not coming in in the morning and basically, you know, getting upset at the closing crew because they didn't leave you stocked up and you have to waste time. So do that. It's just so much easier. And once you see it in person, everything just kind of clicks and you realize, oh, that's how that works. And it makes it so much easier. And I definitely look at the Facebook page and I'm so happy that the people have shifted in their mentality. Whereas a year ago, when someone would bring up cutting edge, it would be like, oh my gosh, this is never going to work. I hate this. How does it even do? Blah, 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 blah. Where now the posts are, hey, my labels are broken. And everybody's answer is, do cutting edge. <laughs> you know, like everybody now is like getting on board where it's becoming so much better of an environment, even on the Facebook page. Absolutely true. It's, it's always fun for me to see those because it's, it's that, it's that one moment, right. Where they're like, I can't do it. And everybody's like, you're right. 
and then you see these folks afterwards who are like, no, I did it. It's fine. You'll be fine. It's, it's okay. It's kind of like diving in the deep end. So along those lines, you've been, you've been doing this go between, between your resource center and ops for a little bit of time. So what's been the favorite thing you've deployed? That is a fabulous question. I wish I'd had a notice about this so I could think about it a little bit more. <laughs> uh, the favorite thing I've deployed, honestly, it's probably cutting edge because with the rollout of this one, I got to be in the stores more and get to see those mind shifts change where, you know, like, ah, what is this too? I got this. I don't need your help anymore. <laughs> um, secondary, I would probably say is the driver app. And like the DSS, because um, little known fact, uh, we got DSS first. <laughs> like we were literally, they were on the franchise call. And if you know Glenn Mueller, who's our franchisee, he likes to do everything first. He likes to just make bold commitments. And while on the call where they were announcing the DSS and GPS, like Flex clients, he texted in his order for 200. He's like, we're going to get this first. So I got to roll out GPS and DSS. And at that point, it was the original digital shoulder surfing. So when we happened to notice that the pilot version for the full order was available, and then like we didn't even know it was possible. And then all of a sudden we could see the customer's orders before they ordered full order. That was exciting in the team's eyes. <laughs> like that was a fun rollout. What kind of struggles are you having with digital shoulder surfing, if any at all? And then the other question I would ask is, how are you handling carryout orders? I get that question a lot when Drew and I are together and we're telling people to do digital shoulder surfing and everybody says, well, do you want me to make the carryouts too? So what kinds of things are you doing in your stores as far as utilizing DSS to its fullest? And specifically, what are you doing with carryout orders? I would say largely it depends on the store and the culture the store has created. If orders are going to be sitting on the rack for 20 minutes before they go out, there's no reason to make those delivery orders earlier than needed because it's just going to sit there longer. And the same with the carryout. If the store typically has longer carryout times or they're quoting 20 minutes to the carryouts, there's no reason to do the digital shoulder surfing on carryouts when they're just going to sit there longer taking up space. But in your store, if you've developed that culture where you tell the customers, like it'll be ready in six minutes, like we'll see you soon. And then they start showing up that fast, absolutely load those carryout orders. If your drivers are have the hustle mentality, you have an expediter and they're getting ready to, you know, take those orders with zero wait time or, very low wait time, then yeah, load all the deliveries. We've changed mentalities on like what we want the RPM way on digital shoulder surfing to be a couple times where it was get the carryouts ready, but don't load them because they're not going to come for a while or, but do load all the deliveries where we're starting to realize that really it's a store by store thing where if we have that culture where the customers know it's going to be ready and the drivers are ready to take it out, load all of them, but take a little bit more time if it's going to take a while to get on the road. Yeah. I love that answer, especially about the carryout. Drew and I were in a store and we were talking to the team about digital shoulder surfing and 
the question came up about carry out specifically. And I said, I would first of all teach all the care, all the uh, CSRs to start quoting lower times and start mm-hmm. training the customers that we are faster than the McDonald's drive and that I would start loading them. And when the customer comes in, say, Hey, your pizza has been ready for five minutes. It's still hot. It's still fresh. Just so you know, next time you can come a little bit earlier and you could already be enjoying it. So I love, love your answer on the store by store, but more importantly, I love the fact that you're talking about the culture in the store and making sure that we're, we're telling customers what it's really going to be. Yeah, with the carryouts too, now that we have DC, DCD, like the car side delivery, and it's being timed, if you load those before they actually drop, that gives you a little bit more time to bag it up before the alarm goes off and that guarantee goes off. So definitely load those. Jump on everything, load everything, get everything out fast. Just do it all fast. All of it. <laughs> fast. So Steph, um, we tried to talk to you now for like two weeks and mother nature kind of told us no uh for our listeners you mentioned you're in new orleans could you just explain what may have happened and how you guys are doing yes absolutely so in new orleans and the gulf coast we have this thing that happens every year called hurricane season usually not a big deal but uh Last year, you know, it started getting a little bit bigger and we had five hurricanes. This year, it just really wanted to start with a big punch with one really, really big one (laughs) on the anniversary of Katrina even. And we had a huge category four hurricane hit right in the heart of RPM land. And overnight, we had 96-ish stores closed. And then we've slowly been working at getting them up And Glenn is going to be so mad at me for saying slowly because we've done it so fast. We actually opened back up 90 stores within seven days, which is crazy considering there wasn't even power in New Orleans for at least eight days. Yeah, that's amazing. It seems like every time there's a huge weather event that franchisees really band together and help each other out. I would guess that getting that number of stores open so quickly you know, RPM is certainly a wonderful organization. Did you have any help from other franchisees around the country? We had a ton of help and we are so grateful for it. We actually had two guys from Hawaii come in and help us for the last two weeks. And funny story, I don't know what phone provider you have, but AT&T did not work right after the storm for at least three days. So what we like to do the first thing after devastating weather event is to contact our team and make sure they're okay. Because obviously we want to help our community. We want to be the first to open so that people have a way to get food, but we care about our team more. So we kind of contact our team, but if they had AT&T, we couldn't get a hold of them. And it was just scary not being able to talk to our team and make sure that they were okay. We actually had a franchisee drive in some Verizon burner phones so that we could start communicating with people because Verizon worked and AT&T didn't. Wow. A whole new use for the burner phone. <laughs> yeah. See, that's, that's what I love though. Like every time something like this happens, uh, Sam and I have been doing these podcasts and we've been talking about leadership and mindset and, and there's two mindsets, right? There's the, Oh, woe is me. Uh, we're going to sit here and hope someone comes to help us. 
And then there's, for lack of better phrasing, the RPM mindset of, well, move the, move the debris out of the way, open the store, let's go. And it's, it's kind of cool how you guys rally the troops around any bright shining. I know like, like Katrina, there was just a ton of free pizzas given out. Is there any story like that that you've got where, where you had a crew go with like the, the mobile store and, and help some customers out? I think just in general, being the only light on in town, because we were running our stores off generators while the whole city didn't have power really helped make the community like aware of how much we love them and how much we're there to support them. We donated hundreds of pizzas to all the linemen that came to town and fire department, police officers, everybody that was there. It was awesome. We, um, gas was a really hard thing to get. So we got a hold of a gas truck and we're helping to fuel up some of our team members cars because I mean, I drove past a line that had over a hundred cars waiting in line to get gas. So we were able to help out our team members with that. You, know, you say you got a hold of a gas truck. Yeah. That's where I wanted to go to. It's like, and, and I could just see Glenn like waiting on the highway trucks about to come by kind of hopped out in front of it. No. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I got three large pizzas. If you just go park at our store. So when you say we got our hands on a gas truck, please tell us you're not talking about Grand Theft Auto and uh, give us give us the deets of exactly how that happened, because uh, my interest is peaked. (laughs) I wish I knew. I wish I knew how we can pull off miracles like that. The point of the gas truck was because our stores were running off generators and this poor guy had to go around to every store and refill up our generators. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I do not know how they did it, but it was magical. Wow. Where there's a will, there's a way. And when there's a Glen, there's absolutely a way. We hear the last to close first to open. So we got to make it. Can't think of the right word for that. <laughs> we we got to make it, it happen. We got to yeah, make it happen. Go. So I think some people would be misinformed they thought the following thing but i think you see this a lot in today's world and when they hear of a business owner talking about being the last to close and the first to open i'm sure a lot of people's minds immediately go to well that's because they're greedy money hungry type of people it sounds to me like you were giving away as many pizzas as you were selling yeah just about and with the last to close first to open it's more about being there for our community. There wasn't a place to get food except for us in some of the towns that we opened up the store in. And all we care about is our team members. Like it's always their safety first. And we did a survey where we contacted all the team members and asked them like what we can do to help. And 80% of them said, I need to work. I need to get my paycheck. Where can I go to work? So just having, you know, getting a store up in each area where all the team members from all over can go and work and still get that paycheck really, really helped them. And it just made their day so much better knowing that they can have this job still. They still have a job. They can still make money. Like we guarantee that they'll, our team members have a job. It might not be at their store because their store might be, you know, missing, but (laughs) they're still going to have a job and they'll still get that paycheck and we'll give them clothes if they need clothes. And 
shelter. We had team members staying in one of our training centers because their house got destroyed. So that leads me to the other piece at Domino's. Um, there's the fabulous partners foundation. And mm-hmm. I know from being in the building through, um, I think it was Ike, um, because you had those post Katrina ones. And I know that they were given out as much as they could bring in from partners to help out team members in that area. I also know that you guys are a huge benefactor towards partners. Do you guys do anything special around that that you could share? We always encourage our team members to donate to partners on their paychecks. And, you know, the partner's pin is a big hit. I wouldn't say that we do anything particularly special about it. It's just part of our culture. You know, we are, I think it's called the Diamond Award. We're recipients of the Diamond Award every year because we care so much. We talk about partners. Glenn even helped create partners, you know, around the same time I was born. So he's a big advocate of that, (laughs) where we always talk about what partners does for our team and how we can help be part of that mission. Shots fired. <laughs> wow, Glenn, if you're listening, we don't have to put up with that as old guys. I'm just saying. Well, RPM is now 40, so we just right. had our 40th birthday. And Glenn started when he was three, so he's not that old. That's right. I think him and Richard were like eight and ten. Nice. <laughs> nice. Good plug there. Wow. I think we're I think we're making we it totally worse. Are. So so let's <laughs> let's let's go to a different topic. Uh, let's go back to the deployments, if you would, less about the individual deployments or the the pieces of it, but how you interact with the store. How do you build that plan to help create that change and work the stores through that change? All about how the message is communicated. I'm a big fan of being honest about different rollouts and different changes. You got to tell them why, the what's in it for them, and then what it actually is going to be like. Because cutting edge, as amazing as it is, as many perks as you get from it, it sucks the first two weeks. It is not an easy transition. (laughs) And you just got to be honest about it and tell them like, hey, look, Friday is going to suck. Like you might have it by yourself when it's just that. But let's work through what it's going to be like so that you're prepared for when it's the worst. And then once you get through that, it's just going to get easier and easier. So it's all about communication. And then a really key point with rolling out anything is going to be the follow-up. You got to go back and see how it's doing because a lot of the message between team members can get misconstrued. Like if you've ever played telephone where, you know, you start out with Domino's is the best pizza company in the world and it ends up with Purple Monkey Dishwasher, like it kind of (laughs) changes there. So you have to go back and check and make sure that every team member got the right message. Purple monkey dishwasher. Just out of thin air, we go from Domino's is the best to purple monkey dishwasher. That may have been the best thing ever. And uh, Drew, I agree. He just texted me that you probably, oh, you you can see it stuff. But the name of this episode is now officially purple monkey dishwasher. Yeah, without I a doubt. It. Yeah, that, that wins. Yeah. Just wow. FYI, it's kind of a Simpsons quote. I don't know if y'all watch Simpsons. Well, it's a Stephanie quote as far as I'm concerned now. I approve that message. 
So Steph, let's talk more about cutting edge uh, because it's, I, I think it's supposed to be rolled out by the end of next year in every store. So what would you say are the top three things that people need to really wrap their head around when they go to make a change? Definitely snake loading. Snake loading kind of has a bad reputation with the teams because they don't see the point of it or they've been taught a way that's not necessarily like the easiest way to understand. So they think that it's like, oh, well, I have to load it this way and then this way. It's like, really, it's just all about loading one complete order before you load the next complete order. You can't load like all of the wings that are on the screen at one time and then the pizzas because that makes it so much harder on the oven tender. And really, it's good advice if you don't have cutting edge yet because it still makes it hard on the oven tender with labels. They just have to find that other box. So snake loading, definitely number one. Number two would be, it's not as hard as you think it is, but you still need to move with distinction. Like you have to move fast and know what you're doing. You have to still pay attention to what you're doing. Cutting edge was designed so that anybody in the store can do it. It's really an easier thing to do like new team members learn it so much better than old team members but you still have to pay attention and know like everything on this first receipt is going to come out first okay that's that whole order there you go all right everything on this next receipt is going to come now where you're still paying attention and then the third thing would probably be you don't have to put all your receipts up i see this mistake a lot in stores where if a receipt prints they put it back up and they'll forget about a pizza that's about to fall out of the oven because they're busy putting up receipts. That's the equivalent of a CSR who puts up the labels on the boxes before they make the pizza. Like you don't have to hang those receipts until they're needed. And they just kind of get in the way. Like if you're hanging up receipts farther than you can reach, you're just going to have to spend double the time to then move that receipt down. Just leave it there. It's fine. They're still in order. Yeah, see, so for me, I can reach pretty far, so I'd probably still put all. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. I would not put all of them up. I totally get that. And and the the CSR putting the labels up before they make the pizza. Yeah, I've, that's a good analogy for that. Um, for the listeners who are like, but the rocker blade RPM's been on the rocker blade for 20 years. We have. It's a different rocker blade, though. And don't worry, we still had those team members who were like, but this isn't my rocker blade. <laughs> this, this change is bad. Yeah, yeah. Change is always bad. I actually found that it was easier to convert the store to cutting edge and get everybody on board with every aspect of it. But asking them to change the way that they, like the order they were cutting the pizza in sometimes was just impossible. <laughs> like we try to encourage the windmill method because it is more efficient. But when you've been doing the rocker blade for 15 years and you're pretty darn fast at it, you can't change. And you know what? That's okay. No, you do you. I was in a store last week and we were joking around about the um, regular pizza pie cut. Well done. No garlic oil. How many times did you have to remake that? Because that muscle motion <laughs> of, of cut it, you know, into pot, into regular, not square. And yeah, yeah. I totally get that. Once you're in, you're in. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We actually talked about garlic oil a lot in our cutting edge conversion 
because that was one of those things that everybody said was impossible. When we switched to new and inspired and you had to put garlic oil around the crust, everybody, there's no possible way that we can put that on every pizza. Like my store is too busy, which is hilarious thinking about the volume then versus the volume now. But anyway, like I, there's no way that we'll be able to put that on there. And they even changed the HTA goal where it was 15 seconds per pizza to get it out of the oven and box it to 25 seconds. So you could have time to garlic it. Like they just didn't think it was possible. And now it's literally the hardest thing to not do. Okay, so <laughs> You have to say no garlic oil. No garlic. I'm going to share something a little behind the scenes. Um, and because Sam has already stated how he's old, I'll now state how I'm old. Um, <laughs> let's see. It's 2021. So 12 years ago, probably to the day, Sam Fowler showed me in the test kitchen a garlic oil blend that at the time was brushed on. And I left that going, okay, ran upstairs to the office of Stan Gage going, you won't believe what they're asking us to do. So yes, <laughs> yes. I think the term you used in uh, the last time you told that story was that I was trying to break yes. pizza. <laughs> there, there may have been that. I mean, it sounds logical. The Sam's in the kitchen trying to yes. break pizza. That may have been the phrase. <laughs> I think the best question that I had about cutting edge, like involving like, how are we going to do this? And like, fold the box around the pizza. First of all, you already fold the box around the pizza. You just already wasted time folding it and then unfolding it before you folded it. But a team member was like, whose idea was this? And I, it was a long day by the time that he did that. So I was just like the Australians, the Australians <laughs> did it. <laughs> just, just blame the Aussies. You know, it's, yeah, it's funny you mentioned that because we had the pleasure of spending some time with Don May on an earlier episode and we were talking about cutting edge and he was talking about how they had been doing it for 30 years and uh, but finally somebody in Ann Arbor validated that it was the right way to go. It was uh, it was very funny. Um, but yeah, no, no, I think that's a good blame. And I think Don would shoulder that blame solidly and say, yes, that is us. Yeah. I was actually watching a video about Ignite Operations. I don't know if y'all have seen it, where it came out a couple of years ago and it was about the Netherlands team that beat the worldwide record for average delivery time in a yeah. week. Yeah. Have you seen it? So I was re-watching it and literally everything that Don lists of how they achieved that goal, we now have in America. Because before it was a pipe dream, like they can see the orders before they drop and <laughs> they have rocker cutters and they're flat boxing. Like now we have everything, e-bikes, you know, <laughs> it was pretty cool how far we've come copying them. Yeah, it is. It is pretty cool how they took our initial pizza and just did so much with it. Um, Don's kind of the real deal. Without a doubt. It's amazing how, how it's not just Don though, right? It's, it's everybody because as we, as we look where we're going, Don says, okay, flat box. And finally the U S goes, okay, fine. But then it's DSS is there now. And now you have load captains and you have expediters and dispatch captains. And all of a sudden pieces from everybody around the country are starting to pull together and, 
and make it better. And that's kind of the best thing about the way we do things. Um, I would assume it works for you that way as well, Stephanie, that although you're probably given a playbook from corporate to roll this out, you probably add your own flair and your own ideas in after a couple stores on any of the rollouts. Is that a fair way to put that? I would definitely say that's a fair way to put that. I am geeky and super cheesy. So I definitely add things to the stores, but more so after rolling them out physically in the first couple stores, I begin to see what questions they have and what needs they've developed. So preemptively, we start putting that into our training so that it eliminates those questions and those doubts or it fills in those gaps of things that they need in the store. So I think what I hear you saying is as someone who's rolling out new initiatives, you go into the first one with a plan and you've got materials and then you're listening to the people that are actually rolling it out and you're constantly evolving the process based on the needs of the end user. That that what I heard you say? Absolutely. And I have an example for you. Snake loading is super hard to explain without actually loading pizzas. So what we did initially is kind of tried to explain it. You know, there's a really great video on PyNet that does show it, but it's hard to get people to watch videos and make sure that everybody watches it. So we were labeling the oven and everything. And after about the 50th store, I found the best way to explain it is to load the next item in the next lowest available spot. So instead of worrying about, you know, one, two, three, four, and oh, well, I just loaded in two. So now I need to put it in three. You just got to load it in the next lowest available spot. That way, if it's been, you know, 30 seconds and one's available again, one's where you're going to put it. You know, if four is the next one that's available, load the next item in four. It's just the next lowest available spot. Yeah, that's cool. And I, I think what Drew and I see is we're out rolling things out or we're out training people. A lot of times we start using the messaging that the team members will kind of pair it back to us. Like if they're, if they're telling us what they think they just heard, we'll be like, oh yeah, that was a much easier way to say it. <laughs> and, and I think that's what the best leaders and the best trainers do is they're not caught up on, this was my message and this is how I decided to say it. And this is the way we have to say it. You find out works best to influence people and change behaviors and get the very best outcomes. Yeah. Especially with a lot of the things on cutting edge being kind of you set up. Let me back that up for a second. We did not buy any of the special tables. So we have the big console at all the stores and just seeing the different ways that team members set that up because we didn't have a standard for how to set that up has been fascinating. Like, oh, why did you put that like that so that it's better for blank? Okay, yeah. Well, I'm going to start telling people that. Or like the big screen catcher, uh, one of the first stores started putting those screen catching things that were on the old cut table in the bin and saw that and was like, that's the greatest thing ever. You know, 90% of the people don't let them fall anyway. They just kind of put the screens down there. So why not sort them as they do it? You know, it's much easier to take to the cut table that way. Different things like that. That's stores like in the team members who are in the store and doing it more often than I am 
they come up with some better things. And I am definitely not afraid of taking their ideas and giving them credit where credit's due. Like that is a better idea than this. Yeah. I was just going to say that the whole take the screen and put it into the bin. I'm right there too, because there is no worse sound than the sound of that screen falling into a bin. Like, like there's 20 years of history there of, of it being a pizza on it, not just being empty. And that sound is just horrible every time it happens. So I, I understand. You get used to it. No. No. You get used to it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Drew, perhaps you should go back and listen to our episode on change management. Oh, hey, hey, I'm all for change. That doesn't mean I have to get used to the sound of crashing things, though. I gotcha. Okay. Okay. So, you know, I think that what a lot of trainers and a lot of supervisors and a lot of leaders get caught up on is I came up with this idea and it's a good idea. And I'm going to prove to you that my idea is better. And it sounds to me, Steph, that, that you want nothing to do with that. You want to find out what's easiest for the team members, what's going to create the very best results and give your customers the very best experiences. And I would think that that speaks volumes to the reason why RPM pizza does so well is because there's probably a lot of folks like that in your organization. Yeah, for sure. We definitely care about more what's best for the customer and what's best for the team members. What's the simplest way to do something and get good results. And it doesn't matter who came up with it or what team or what the original plan was. We want to know what the best way to do it is so that we can do it that way. Sam and I tried that with podcasting and we found that this way is really bad and still works for us. So that's what we're going with. You make improvements every week. There's plenty of room for it. Wow. That's (laughs) yeah. There's um, from the department of nowhere to go, but up. Welcome to Drew and Sam talk training. But to be fair, you remembered to hit record. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, Drew, shut up. Now, speaking of, speaking of this. And, and, and Stan, if you're listening. Yes, we are an old married like couple. Right now. So, <laughs> Stephanie, when I first came to you and said, I'd like you on the podcast, you told me only if I did something else. You remember what that something else was? It's been a while now. You told me I had to have Margaret on and the training team on. Yes, I did say that. So what I'm doing by putting it into the interview is locking Margaret in when I go out and reach out to her tomorrow and say, we've got to do this. It's out in the ether web. (laughs) Everyone's going to hold you to it. And now, now I'm locking her into this. So thanks for that stuff. So Margaret, hi. So basically in RPM, um, we have a fabulous, fabulous training department. And they focus on development and leadership and AM development and everything that you would need for a new team member and to progress in your career. I am not a part of that department. As I said earlier, I'm the in-between between the RC and operations, and I roll out new products, which is how I got lucky enough to get, you know, be a part of Cutting Edge and get trainer of the year and everything through those rollouts. But our training team is so much better than me at actually training that I felt bad to have this wonderful opportunity with you gentlemen and not give it to them as well. So what are you reading, Steph? I am an avid Audible person. 
just don't look at my playlist because there's a lot of non-business books in there too. I'm a sucker for mysteries, but I am reading a fabulous book called Making Habits, Breaking Habits right now. It's a good read. As far as Domino's leadership, a favorite book of mine was Five Dysfunctions of a Team that I think you guys would like because it is that fable type of story and huge fan of extreme ownership and grit. If I were to create, you know, a series of leadership classes, I would definitely base it around those two topics. It's interesting because Patrick Lincoln is one of my favorites. We just haven't brought him into this podcast yet, but yeah, death by meeting five dysfunctions of a team, the ideal team player. I think, yeah, the ideal team player. Yeah. I love all of his stuff. So yeah, I'll have to make the list now. There's a, like a leadership pill. Have you read that one? Different author, but leadership pill. I was thinking about it to make my list for you, but it was actually a physical book. So I didn't have it in my audible library. So I couldn't remember the exact name. I've got the, uh, the leadership pill by Ken Blanchard, the missing ingredient in motivating people today. That one's an interesting book. They take this manager who has these pills that make them better versus a traditional manager who has the right skill set. And you learn the right skills to be a manager because they're better than the guy with the pills. Even if there were, it wouldn't be better than the real thing. Well, Stephanie, thanks. It's been a true pleasure. We appreciate the time. Thanks a million. Oh, my pleasure. It's been wonderful spending my evening with y'all. You can hear the energy that Stephanie brings to the conversation and the fact that she is the deployment master for RPM. Think about that. 200 stores and she's deployed everything that you have in your two stores, three stores, 10 stores, 20 stores. And that's probably why they gave her that big honking award, Sam. Yeah. And I I think the thing that I really liked in the interview was her transparency. She talked to us about cutting edge and she said to her teams going into it, hey, listen, the first weekend, it's going to suck. You are not going to like it. But once you work out the bugs and once you figure out what needs to happen, you are going to love it. And we talked a couple episodes about uh, back about change management and how important the leader is to the change management. And I think her ability to be transparent about that first weekend being horrible set her up for success for the weekend after it. Because I I imagine it allowed her to go in and say, I told you it would suck. Now let's talk about what challenges you had and what we can do to fix it. I've said it a lot. I've got no problem with people saying things suck. I've got no problem with people pointing out challenges. My problem comes when they don't want to talk about solutions afterwards or they don't want to find find the way out. So Stephanie, thank you so much for that amazing interview. I'm sure Anthony Satterwhite enjoyed it. Go ahead and take a drink. And uh, Purple Monkey Dishwasher to you, my friend. Hey, Drew, we've got two virtual trainings in and the listeners are telling us that they want more. I hear that too, Sam. So you know what? Let's do it. Let's go for October 26th for Drew and Sam Talk Training Virtual Training Event 3. I like it. Let's discuss effective training, performance coaching, and feedback with a flourish all in time for the big Halloween weekend. And you know what? Let's charge the 49 bucks to get in for the two-hour event. But Sam, I think we've got something special for our listeners. Yeah, let's do that $5 discount. We'll use discount code PODCAST. For any of our loyal listeners, you can save five bucks off that already ridiculously low price of just 49 bucks. 
Where should they register, Drew? To register, go to trainwithbty.com. That's trainwithbty.com. On the road again. Just can't wait to get on the road again. The life I love is making music with my friends. And I can't wait to get on. Thanks for that intro, Willie. After the ad for the next virtual training event. If you're still listening to this and you haven't paused it to go onto your phone that you're listening to this on, to go to trainwithbty.com events and register for that training event, what are you waiting for? Pause the podcast, go register, and then come on back and listen to where Sam and I are going. So Sam, where is it that you're going? Well, I've got a uh, pretty exciting trip coming up. I'm going down to see my friends in Centralia, Illinois. Again, going to do a little pizza making training down there and then i'm off to see nick birch i'm going to spend a couple of days with him and his team and then i'm going to load up the truck and go straight from illinois all the way to the gold coast spend some time with craig turner and his team we're going to do a little world's fastest pizza maker training going to do a competition where i'm going to be the judge and then i'm going to head down and spend some time with my pal dennis ryan in azusa california and hopefully hook up with marty martin as well and there's a chance we may play some golf while I'm out there. So I'm looking forward to that. How about you, Drew? Where are you off to? Well, let's see. As soon as we're done recording this, I'm getting on a plane and heading to New Jersey because I got a wedding to go to, which is like my second wedding in like two weeks. A plane? This is kind of crazy. You're getting on a plane? I use planes, Sam. Wow. You are trains and automobiles. I am planes. Wow. That's fantastic. It is. But I noticed as you and I talk through where we're, where we're going and do this on the road segment, we flip flop. So you're heading on this like three week driving binge of California classes and all that. And I'm looking at my calendar going, I have six learning hub clients I'm working on for the next three weeks. Yeah. I don't travel again right now. I have one more class in Dayton uh, next week. And then I'm off to my main in the middle of October. I am all learning hub all the time right now. Nice. Hey, listen. So it's amazing how we switch back and forth like that. Yeah, it's crazy. The clients that we get to work with, just fantastic folks. So, um, you know, I feel real grateful for that. When you're in Maine, you got to get the lobster roll. And I highly suggest the New England lobster roll as as opposed to the Maryland lobster roll. That's just my two cents. So before we digress too far here, Sam. I just want to let you know, I'm usually not a lobster or a crab guy because I don't like to work for my food. I probably would have starved as a hunter-gatherer millennia ago. I don't want to work for my food. When I'm in Maine, I plan on having a diet 100% lobster. Well, and that's the beauty of the lobster roll. You don't have to work for it. They do all the work for you. And that's why I'm totally in on that. There's none of that cracking of the shell or the lobster bib that all the tourists wear. It's you know, it comes out in a hot dog bun and you eat it, you enjoy it, you pay the bill and you're on with your life. So um, for Huge you, fan. Mr. Non-Hunter, Non-Gatherer, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just, again, suggest the lobster roll. It is the way to go. I will also say, Sam, I'm bringing the, the hard suitcase with me because there is so much good beer up there that I can't get here in Michigan. So there might be some bringing back of the local beers in large quantities in the suitcase. Hey, speaking of beer, uh, I mean, as long as we're digressing, which we do, have you ever heard of a beer called Purple Monkey Dishwasher? I understand that there is one called Purple Monkey Dishwasher now. 
It's amazing that once Stephanie said it and we Googled it, not only did we find that Simpsons clip, but we then found a beer named after that, which also brings me to this interesting thing that Stephanie brought up to us after we stopped recording, that it seems that there's a subtle drinking game in our podcast now. And if we mention Anthony Satterwhite, people are told to drink every time we mention who, Sam? Uh, Anthony Satterwhite. That one's just for you, Stephanie. If that's not the case, we've just created a game. If it is the case, there are some very, very happy people right now. Okay, before we land this plane, let's get it back on route. Make sure we're at the right airport. We've been getting a lot of emails and a lot of feedback. There's been some comments on the podcast. And gosh, we just really love them. We respond to them all. The listenership uh, continues to grow, and we couldn't be more thankful for that. We would love it if you would subscribe. We'd like to see those subscription numbers go up just a little bit more. Of course, share them with your friends. I was told one of our clients is highly recommending this podcast to all of his GMs and AMs, and that just makes us smile from ear to ear. And Sam, I was told on the corporate side, there might be some franchise business consultants that are told to listen to this when they're onboarding new to the company. Wow. That's fantastic. Well, that just makes me smile. And it's not an ego thing. It's it's all about what I'm all about. And I think Drew is all about as well. And I continue to say it and I'm going to continue to say it until I stop doing this. The reason that I'm doing what I'm doing is because I want young men and women to have the great same experience with this just amazing global brand that I was able to have. And I hope that they're having as much fun as I've had over my nearly four decades with it. And I'm going to continue to do what I do to try to help people get to that level of fun and excitement about the Domino's Pizza brand. And like Drew said so well last episode, even though he doesn't remember, we sell easy and we sell fun. And that's what you're going to get if you bring us into your organization to help develop your team. With that, I want to say thanks so much for listening. As Sam said, we'd love it if you'd share these episodes with your friends, like them, follow us, and subscribe. This has been episode 18, 18, Sam, of Drew and Sam Talk Training. I am Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I'm Sam with Bowser Consulting. As always, gang, go out there and sell more pizza. And have more fun. That's all, folks.